Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, episode 57. This one we've got Jessica Gamella from Vancouver Island University, horticulture, you got it, horticulture, sit back, relax, enjoy, we'll see you on the other side. Okay, here we go, ready? Three, two, one. Hey everybody, welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast where we like to center our pedagogy and uh, we are creating a guild of practitioners in this thing called higher education. And it is my pleasure, Sally, my pleasure to introduce to the crowd, Jessica Gamella. Did I say that correct? You know, I, I always have it in my brain that I should check with the guest before we start recording about the pronunciation of names. I've got an idea, I even have it written down. And here I am going, hmm, okay. That's good. It's that's good. It's been pronounced lots of different ways, so I doesn't matter to me. <laughs> that's the way I'm I pronounce it. To hear. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. I'm relieved to hear that's correct because for five years that's how I you know pronounced it. Ah. So hopefully I've got it right too. Nice. <laughs> Jessica, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? I am glorious. Sally, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, yesterday was a bit of a shock to me. I really felt like it was Friday all day. Yeah. And then, you know, that, you know, that feeling when you realize, no, it's only Thursday, but well, Fridays, the Fridays are always fun when we kick off with the podcast. So all good here. All good. Beautiful. Well, mm-hmm. yesterday was my Friday technically. So maybe that's why you were feeling like yeah. it was Friday. I was sending yeah, out the Friday vibe to the whole universe. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I won't, I won't keep talking about that because it no, makes stop you... bragging. Yeah. Stop showing off. <laughs> <laughs> Still got lots of work to do. Uh, yeah. Always. Jessica, you are in landscape and horticulture at uh, Vancouver Island University. How about you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh So uh, the horticulture program is a one-year certificate program, and we are located off the main campus in of the Nanaimo campus and a forested site. And we've got three large greenhouses and lots of space. Uh, We right now are uh, not in very much, uh, but we will be as the weather gets better and uh, we're able to have more face-to-face time. And we're spent a lot of time working outside and a lot of time in the greenhouse. Cool. So give me, give me the, 30,000 foot view of horticulture. Like what is it, what does it cover from A to H? <laughs> See what I did there? A to H. A to H. Well, if I went through, maybe if I start with what students would experience when they get started, they start with things like botany and, um, and they learn about, greenhouse environments, how they manage it and, and uh, plant ID, we spend the whole, it's a whole year long program. So students learn about a hundred plants through the the semester, how to ID them. Uh, We do a lot of horticulture production where we grow plants for mainly special occasions. So we're getting ready for Mother's Day. We'll do baskets that we have for a Mother's Day sale. So there's a nice mix of classroom things and hands-on time. Uh, which students really enjoy and I enjoy too. When we get to the second semester, we do things like landscape design and uh, I teach that class. That's one of my favorites and soils and uh, uh, landscape maintenance and irrigation. And so they get a a really good mix of, because the profession like most trades is really diverse. There's so many different things. Some people might work having their own landscape company or for somebody else, they might be in a producer that's a greenhouse or maybe they're going to grow cannabis or they might work on a farm um there's it's really diverse what people end up doing do you, do you yeah. find that do you find that people are more interested in growing cannabis now that it's uh, legal to do so i felt that way at first a few years ago but not so much right now um it seems to vary from year to year quite a bit Right. And and I think at first there was a big interest because there was a lot of mystery to it. And I think a lot of students thought that it needed at, at, when it first started, that there needed to be this special program around cannabis. But having talked to a lot of cannabis growers, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a plant. So um, we grow poinsettias, which is kind of our, one of our 
big projects that we have that goes on mm-hmm. and they're very similar. It's kind of like the mix between growing a tomato and poinsettia. So they're interesting plants because you can learn about a lot of botany and there's lots of differences and there's lots of things you have to manipulate in the environment. So they'd be a great teaching crop. They, they would mm-hmm. be great, but I, I, um, a lot of barriers to getting that going in an institution. So yeah, we haven't no crossed kidding. that yet. Yeah, we haven't crossed that yet. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. just see if the council or education is like, yeah, so we want to develop a cannabis uh, program. And, uh, we're going to have a right beside the craft beer program. because yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, there was talk about that, actually. There was, there was. talk about that. <laughs> but we're, yeah. and, and then it we're, we had, with COVID, we had students growing poinsettias at home in a grow tent. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of the stores that would be supplying cannabis um, uh, supplies were really um, so supportive of our program. It gave us great deals on grow tents and grow lights and all kinds of things to monitor at home. So um, I would say, you know, we're getting support for them as well. And, and now all our students have a tent at home so they can grow whatever they want to grow. <laughs> <laughs> there's the, uh, there's the institution side of the tent and then there's the personal side of the tent. Yes, that's right. right. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Funny how I'm only seeing pictures on one side of the tent. We're not looking at the other side. The whole other show, but, uh, so you are a landscape architect. So yeah. tell, tell me a little bit about that. Cause I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, I uh, I went to the University of Guelph and did a bachelor in landscape architecture, which there aren't very many uh, bachelor programs, and there are actually very many landscape architecture programs. So it's a five year degree um, when I did my bachelor's, and then you do a couple year internship. So, and then it carries a professional license. So it, it was a long process, and I I really enjoyed that profession. I I my focus was landscape restoration. I did a lot of um, uh, habitat restoration for projects. And uh, um, so like an example, when the Portman Highway was having improvements done, they needed to do compensation. So I was doing habitat camp compensation drawings, um, working with biologists on that. And then the other things I really liked was public parks. So I worked on a lot of parks and nature playgrounds, sort of like teaching grounds and learning grounds. So those were the things I specialized in. And um, I love, I like to do a lot of drawing. So I, that was part of that work. Um, but landscape architects, they mainly work on public projects and, um, and, uh, and do a lot of um, concept design. And then you work, you know, you work through user with user groups and, and communities to come up with a, a plan for whatever scale landscape it is. And, uh, and try and have a process where you draw out people's wishes and needs and then refine a plan. And then, of course, um, I know that the both of you have talked about uh, design thinking. So it is very much that process where you're, you have ideas and then you, you go through and, and brainstorm with the users what they need. And then you refine it. And then, of course, when it goes to construction, there's always lots of changes because things are never the same on paper and you change them and you refine them. And then um, as a landscape architect, I provide oversight to make sure that the work was being done in accordance with the contract drawings and approved payments and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a pretty um, interesting profession because there's a real, it's, it's like architecture, very similar. It's similar. It's very much the same process. And um, you have a chance to have that creative side and work with people to, um, to, uh, collaboratively really get the best ideas and then um, have them actually um, help people visualize what that might look like and work through all the options and then have it implemented and then fine tune it as it gets built. When you say, when you say um, compensation for the, for the Portman expansion, are you talking about like they have to replace so much square footage of landscaping and, and, and renewal to the ecosystem is that what you're talking yeah. about so under the fisheries act if there's work within a riparian zone then uh there's a, a negotiation that goes through that there's an estimate of of how much habitat was lost and then it needs to be recreated somewhere else uh somewhere nearby where you can create this so there's there's a no net loss in habitat so do you find that that part of your work is as is as respected as in a client coming to you and saying, I, I want to 
do this huge backyard or I got this large lot and I want to landscape. Do you find that there's an equal amount of respect there? I mean, I asked the question because I come from a construction background and I can imagine that, you know, a decade ago that we never really thought about eco restoration when it came to these large building projects. It's funny that you asked that because my, my dad was a contractor. So when oh. I went into landscape architecture, he would say, he would say, oh, no, here comes the landscape architect. Oh, yeah. Well, I wasn't oh, going to go there. No. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, you know, I, I just I don't I it's I don't think very many people have worked with it. There's just not very many landscape architects. There's yeah. not, not many around. Um, so it's a, a smaller profession. Um, as far as, uh, respect, that's a really good question because one of the reasons I like to be on a podcast or when I get invited, um, I, I to something or when, when Sally, who's with us, gives me a, 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 a gentle <laughs> nudge to do a conference or something. Um, yeah, she's good at that. Good at nudging. Yeah. She's good at nudging. Just yes. even the way she says it, nudging, nudging. <laughs> <laughs> is uh is is to push past my what i would i would say i'm i'm naturally shy by nature so those kinds of things don't come easy to me but i always think it's worth it because i think horticulture if we horticulture in general and i think like a lot of other traits maybe is is seen as as not um not a very complex or um or or uh, a lesser decision i don't i don't it, it so respect maybe for for horticulture as a trade in general um, is something that I, I like to promote horticulture because it, it's not just a, a trade. I think it's a lifestyle, you know, it's a, it's a healthy way of living um, in that you can, you know, there's so much, there's a therapeutic side to it. A lot of our students are, are coming from maybe a background where they want that, that therapy and to have their hands and be around plants. And we had a student last year who's uh who had a nursing background. So she combined that she is working as a, as a horticulture therapist now. And then there's the food side of being able to feed yourself and, right. uh, and then that uh, pride in contributing to the environment. So like whether you're doing a full on habitat restoration or you're just um, restoring something in your backyard and, and you, you know, you're seeing birds and bees and things that you didn't see before. I think it's, it's, it's an important part of everybody's life. No, I couldn't uh, or, agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Sally, there's um, <clears throat> how you doing? You've been very quiet I, so far. I, I I know I've been actually silent, which never happens. Really. <clears throat> the great thing is that you know I've worked with Jessica. I think for it would be about five years. Um, so at, at BIU, we had this wonderful opportunity in the trades faculty that was called the Trades Enhancement Project. And so what it was is a collaboration between our teaching and learning center, which we call CIEL, and um, the trades faculty. And what would happen is each year, a couple of departments would be selected to um, go through this enhancement project. And, um, and the enhancement was around their, their teaching and learning practices. And I was fortunate to be, um, uh, you know, to work closely with CIEL in that teaching and learning consultant role, which was when I first met Jessica, actually. And the horticulture department was um, selected. And Jessica, I think you were fairly new to VIU at that time. And so the joy of working with somebody that says, oh, my goodness, I feel so fortunate to have a team coming to work with me in, you know, enhancing this program. But I learned so much about the program that I honestly didn't know before when we, you know, when we think about trades and, and <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> if you could take that bit out, um, <laughs> if we think about trades and horticulture, um, I think there, there are many people like myself that just say, oh, yeah their grain crops but it, just listening to Jessica this morning just mm -hmm. the story there's such a um a fine line between your program and the sciences like it sits within trades Jessica but it actually has a history in the the science department doesn't it yes. as, as well so it's I mean how do you see it fitting within the trades when you look around you at say maybe other trades 
an ITA program? Yeah. Um, uh, I, th- I think when I started, it had just been in the trades for a few years. So uh, some of the instructors were still at that time, I think, wrestling with how to fit in because they'd come from a very different way of doing things. And I'd like myself to see it become more of a trade um, and uh, have people with backgrounds from the trade to be instructing. And um, I think it does have I thought at first it had more science than other programs, but now when I, when I hear more about some of the other trades, you know, some of them have a lot of math that I would have never thought that they were, were doing or, um, or even, uh, even some of the culinary and the baking, a lot of the chemistry, you know, Sally, when we were working together, we talked about chemistry because you came into our soils class and we were doing a a class, a a soil testing class at the time. Um, So I think there's a lot of hidden things that would make science and math and arts and, and crafts and all the all these other parts that are in a trade that are not as revealed um, that are so fulfilling in the trade. There's that technical, let's get everybody's jobs and there's certain skills Mm. that you need to cover. But all of the trades that I've been exposed to at VIU have these other sides to them with a lot of creativity and a lot of science. So I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't really think that we're that far out there. Um, Yeah. And, and even around the language, like we do have, for our students a lot of new language to learn because um, the you know botany and plant science have a lot of latin and greek and that sort of thing to learn the plant names but i think most other professions have lots of other languages Mm -hmm. you know if i think about culinary for example um yeah yeah Yeah, and i think Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying really, Jessica, is that this is, you know, from the inside of the trades is a very uh, different lived experience than that. You know, we 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 sort of categorize, oh, this is trades here. And quite often they're, you know, trades um, faculties are set to a particular area um, on campus and we label this all as trades. But the complexity within each of those individual trades um, gets hidden under those labels, I think. And and maybe uh, one thing you mentioned there as well, you know, there is the vocational side of this. This is related to you finding meaningful work. And yet that also maybe shadows, again, the complexity within and the rigor within their programs. Um, So it seems like just I think some of the things that we may talk about the, this morning is how that you've opened up your program. I'm thinking of a few different avenues, but you've opened up your program in a way that has l- allowed the general public to see more inside what goes on. And I think one idea that is, you know, jumping to mind right now is the in. Instagram, yes, oh, your yes. Instagram activity. So maybe you'd just like to, you know, I know all about it, but um, well, it's um, uh, a few people at VAU have asked me about VAU, which I smile because I really am not a social media expert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are any of us really i mean no. come on <laughs> yes what is this expert word we speak of <laughs> that word got tossed out about 10 months ago <laughs> yeah so when i first started i talked to marketing at viu for a, for a little bit of guidance on on uh, how to get started uh and how to represent viu i was concerned about you know this is it's not my personal I'm representing VIU and basically I met with them there was it was pretty open I didn't there weren't a lot of guidelines or rules or anything and uh and so I started with Instagram and and I immediately found out that students really liked it so students would say to me hey 
there's a horticulture Instagram. I got this picture. Do you want to put it on there? And I'd say, sure, show me how to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a great idea. Yes. Why don't you go ahead and take care of that? <laughs> and then they'd say, you know, um, could you do it like a, this would be great for a boomerang. And I would say, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, how about you show me how to do that? And I'll, and, and so, um, and I, and I found that the students, like that was a nice way of connecting because, sure. um, uh, yeah. And so then I could use it to celebrate a lot of things. So the, the Instagram was like more about just acknowledging people's work and celebrating. It was a nice connection. Um, I'd get lots of uh, little pictures of uh, garden gnomes or uh, uh, whatever was happening at home, I'd get direct messages. So I really enjoyed that. But then in the search for what to do with Instagram, I thought, well, I'm going to integrate that into our classes. And um, so when we have a work, we have a work experience where students are off working for um, three and a half months and I was looking for ways to stay connected with them. So uh, created a, an assignment where they would create a po social media post uh, of to describe what it is that they did. So again, raising the profile of horticulture so people would know what students, what kind of work was out there, what students were doing, and they could. Um, and then I posted those throughout the summer. So we don't have classes going on and that solved the summer gap of what am I going to do to keep this Instagram going? And, and, and that turned out to be quite a nice thing because they could acknowledge their, their, um, their employers and would need to talk to their employers about, you know, what would be appropriate and the image. And it was promoting, you know, giving a, a thanks back to their employers a little bit too. So that was one thing we did. And then um, uh, we had this, uh, then we had COVID hit and so we could, we weren't going to do that. So I thought, how can we continue using, using Instagram? So we started um, and the students named it hashtag ask VIU horticulture. <laughs> um, so it, we couldn't go out and work. So how could we learn about things while we're not working or going to school for those couple of months? And so we started getting through hashtag SVIU questions from the public. And then we'd meet every week as a way of staying connected, especially during those difficult times. And we could answer questions. And mostly the questions first came from other uh, instructors at VIU. Um, so if Sally had a house plant problem, uh, it would get a picture. What <laughs> should I all. do? Help. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's turned out to be again, really fun. <laughs> And I think uh, I think we're going to have more and more of it. So the the social media, I think it works when we integrate it into our classes and it becomes something that the students find useful. But now we have these libraries of case studies, too, that I can refer back to. So if in botany, if a question, you know, if something comes up and I'm looking to create some um, some experience where they can apply what they're learning to something that is actual. I've got this whole um, whole library already started of experiences and questions. And um, so that the ask hashtag SVIU horticulture, anybody can send a question. So Tim, if you have a plant question, I'm writing can, that down right now. I, you I, can I find it ironic question. that we call it hashtag. Yes. About, you know, all of the things about. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. With a little <laughs> cannabis conversation there. Yes. Um, I think it's so interesting as well when we think about the non-disposable assignment. And then I'm just thinking of, you know, earlier this year, no, last year, gosh, yes, when COVID hit last year and and there we were, we were struggling to find, you know, ways to create authentic assessments. And, and one of the, you know, one of the most popular ways to do that is really look at the roots of authentic assessments. And, and I think that as much as everybody really liked the idea of authentic assessments, they would, you know, the instructors would talk about how long it took to create these assessments, even whether they were formative ones rather than summative ones. They still took a lot of time. And to write a really good case study 
is very time consuming. And so instructors would say, okay, I've got some, but you know, I'm going to have to use my old multiple choice tests and my old standardized practices. But one of the great things is Jessica with your hashtag um, ask BIU horticulture is that instead of, you know, your whole team having to create endless case studies and scenarios, suddenly these were just arriving, they're coming right to you all the time. But also, you know, all of those other skills that students were actually able to, um, I guess, in, embed into their responses there, because like you're saying, this is a public, this is a public um, domain. So those responses need to be obviously accurate. And it's a far higher level of accountability there for the learner, isn't it? I'm sure they're more invested in, in those responses with them when they just submit them to their instructor. Well, I thought it was a win when early on in those weekly meetings when students would say to each other, okay, I'll, uh, I'll write that up, what we talked about, and then I'll send it to everybody for review to make sure that, you know, I haven't made mistakes or forgot anything. So they were reviewing each other's work, which I hadn't, maybe they, again, they were doing that, but it was behind closed doors and I didn't get to see it, but it was nice to see that they were reviewing their work together. Um, yeah, that shows that, um, again, that bringing up to another level of responsibility and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, I love that site. <laughs> when um, I was doing some reading uh, a little while ago and I came across this, uh, this, the, this description where it says that you're committed to student centered holistic education. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Like I know what student centered means, but <laughs> <laughs> She's like, where did I say that? When did, when did I do that? Did I say that? And I think that Sally might have said that. No, <laughs> no, no, actually. Actually, actually Jessica <clears throat> won quite an amazing award last year. Okay. And I may have written that when I, when I uh, wrote that about Jessica, but it's all yours, Jessica. Take it away. <laughs> um, well, I guess when I first started as an instructor, I really thought that my job was about information and technical things. And uh, I did come out of uh, an education that was lecture based. You know, we're going to talk to you here, you can do some readings and then you're going to go do it. And then when I worked with Sally and uh, and the the whole enhancement uh, group and the project that Sally mentioned earlier, um, I realized that's not really how I worked anyway. So I felt a little bit more freed to do other things. And it made me feel when I got that those experiences and then just having worked for a couple of years, I really realized my job instructing part of it was that knowledge sharing, but so much more was about all the other aspects of a person and all, you know, it's a relationship. So I think, um, as I was saying earlier, I think there's so many aspects to horticulture that can be part of that whole person mm -hmm. and that, um, in horticulture, we can be improving our environment, you know, aesthetically or as habitat, we can be, you know, when I do a design class and we hand draw, well, that's a skill that we're learning about the first beginnings of drafting. But again, if you look at it back for the whole person, um, being able to express yourself in different ways is, is important as a person. And, and so when I, a holistic, I think that I've, I've become more free over feeling more comfortable in the job as an instructor to think about all the other things that are going on. Uh, just like I thought, well, when I first started instructing, uh, I came out of work that was very deadline based and everybody did their part and you were held to it and that's the way it goes. And so I softened a little bit too, to realize that there's so many things going on for people that it's a different, uh, it's quite a different job um, being in education. And with COVID, uh, it really brought that home again, is that there's a part of it that's a service that I, I'd never, I never thought of that really before I started doing the work and realizing where some people are coming, everybody's coming from different places and everybody's going to end up somewhere differently. And there's, there's 
there's the person and then how the person fits in the community and then they're the world and then the profession itself at the small scale and the big scale. So it is holistic because there's lots of things to consider. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's very cool. I, I have an interesting question for myself because I'm curious about uh, like green walls and greenscaping uh, within, mm-hmm. like within buildings, like you, you see, uh, well, I've seen a, drift towards the integration of plants in like living walls. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like how, how does that, how, how, what's the science behind that? Do you know? Well, um, there's, uh, I'm trying to think of the person's name. It's a French name. Uh, should look it up, but, um, uh, I can look it up later. Yeah. Botanist. <laughs> I think LeBlanc. I think LeBlanc is a name um, who really sort of started things in the last 25 years, uh, did a lot of traveling to the tropics and looked at where, where plants were growing on, on, on basically no soil on, on slopes that were, were straight up and uh, started um, experimenting with fish tanks at home and growing using the, the nutrient, um, uh, from fish tanks to grow walls at home of green. And then, then he just expanded that and came up with a lot of what is currently used as systems. So they're usually a fabric or a very thin, um, uh, a thin layer of, of growing medium that's wrapped. And then there's irrigation systems built right into it. And so some places they'll wrap entire buildings, um, in cities that you'll get the entire building being green and then they've they brought it inside with tropical plants so there's a circulating system but i think it's just that particularly in urban places that people are really it makes a difference to be able to see something green you know hospital studies show if you have a you know recovery rates are improved if your if your hospital room over overlooks a courtyard um with green space if you have a tree outside your window so a lot of places have brought that green inside uh not so much what i'm seeing that in nanaimo nanaimo where we are it's a small place but when you get into cities like vancouver for sure you're seeing that and uh, there's quite a few trade shows i've been to when some growers um that's another part of the industry now is that a lot of those um growing systems are patented now so you you know you pay for a license and then you can grow essentially a flat of plants and when they put up a green wall or a green roof it's often you'll see it and then they bring in these flats of pre-grown plants and it's instant green that's kind of fun but they're they're a lot of those systems are patented yeah i I worked at the convention center in vancouver Mm -hmm. um in construction i was i'm a a plumber by trade gas fitter and um that whole roof uh, well most of it if not all of it is all green and so interesting technology there and that people don't realize the the intricacy that goes into something like that. Like you're saying that the irrigation system, the drainage system um, and all that other stuff, it's uh, it's, it's quite amazing. Quite amazing. It was hard to get insurance. It was, you know, the green roof movement and, and Toronto it's, it's uh, part of uh, public buildings. Um, Anything that's not single family is required to have a green, green roof now. And I think they've made a lot of, you know, they've, but here people are still a little reluctant. Um, I think probably with our weather as well. Um, and there's a whole, you know, there's, there's roofing systems. So they come with layers of, of roof protection and, and, and then, uh, you know, it, when it rains that they can gather the water and filter it. And, and so those green roofs act as filtration systems for, um, for environmental pollutants and storm rainwater stormwater brings a lot of um uh issues in when it surges right so if we can slow it down with plants whether it's on a roof or in the landscape um all cities now have uh, bylaws that have green green bylaws where um the landscape what you see in commercial buildings now has a function to it there's a requirement so um, landscape architects, for example, will work with a civil engineer. They'll estimate the, the amount of water that you would have to retain on site. And all of our gardens are now receiving rainwater and, det- you know, retaining or, or detaining them. 
and uh, filtering them so that when they overflow and they enter our storm systems that they've been cooled cooled and cleansed so that we don't have um, particulate matter and water to warm the creeks. When, when rainwater runs off parking lots and roofs, it heats it up and then it heats up our streams. So horticulture is um, again, behind the scenes in, in, in um, greening cities and not just for aesthetic reasons, but um, the green bylaws include in, in almost all cities now include uh, where you would place trees for shading, for example, because you can dramatically influence the heating and cooling costs. Um, so when architects are calculating their heat, uh, their heat loss requirements to get green building certifications, they'll work with somebody, uh, landscape architect to um, or other or other person in the green industry to place trees and things that strategically so that they're helping to cool the buildings and gardens used to be built up and raised up often and and create privacy and now they're all um, um, placed in the landscape so they receive water instead of shedding it. So our students are learning about that. They're learning about how they can use plant material to uh, suspend pollutants and, uh, and, and retain those on site and clean and cool waters for our fish habitat. This is so amazing, right? Because from a guy who lives in the city where it's just like, yeah, pave it all. We'll paint it green. It's all good. <laughs> you don't realize just the impact that it has on the ecosystem around you, right? Like it, it makes total sense. Like when you say it, it's like, yeah, okay, Tim, like rain hits the hot roof or the hot building or the hot cement heats up, goes into the storm system. And, but that heat doesn't easily dissipate because water is a great transporter for heat. I mean, we use hydronic heating a lot in the plumbing and heating industry. Um, so yeah, makes total sense. I'm, yeah, I'm blown away. So like our students are learning about soils. So in that case, controlling the quality of soil is very important because the soil is really doing the majority of the work and it needs to have lots of microorganisms because it's the microorganisms that are doing the majority of the work, not the plants. The plants are helping though. <laughs> they're all part of it together. Um, so they need to be high in organic matter and they, you know, they, they're part they, you know, they're part of handling all those materials and, and, and the sequencing of how you install things. So in landscape construction, um, if you're having a, a functional landscape like that, you need to, to really have a lot more controls over their system so that you're keeping the gravels clean that are underneath these high organic, um, uh, matter and uh, using, you know, plant selection. So again, in our in our plant ID classes, when we have case studies, we try to bring in these current practices, what what cities and are really needing right now. So, you know, if we're doing plant ID, you know, what we might have a case scenario around a rain garden, how you would select plants that would be appropriate that could take the heat of a parking lot. Yes, they might be an island in the middle of a parking lot, but then be able to be adaptable to. Um, so it's all about creating these more adaptable environments. And there's there's so many interesting things happening in horticulture, even street trees now when you see them. Um, they, they, in cities, like if you're in Vancouver, most of the trees will have structural soil. So instead of just paving them, they're mixing those sub bases, the construction industry is mixing the sub bases with, uh, with what would have been, you know, your typical aggregate mix underneath a sidewalk with a half and half mix of, of soil, a growing medium and roots of trees now are being encouraged to grow underneath parking lots all the way. There's a whole network of roots that are seeking out nutrients wherever they need to go in, a, in an urban environment. Um, there's all this stuff happening in underground that uh, most people don't know about. So um, horticulturalists can work with all different types of professions, whether it's in a backyard to make somebody's space more livable. They might be working in a city. They might be working contractors might these practices might be new so it might be part of their job like in hashtag ask viu horticulture to explain you know why we're you know what why would we want to have 
water collect, you can imagine a lot of contractors say, why would we want to have water collect on our site? We want to get rid of that water. And so a horticulturalist might need to come in and say, well, actually the function of this garden isn't just to be beautiful. It's also because we're going to, we're going to have this, this as a functional place to cleanse and clean water and cool it and all those things. And they get to talk about it and they've had practice in hashtag VIU to explain that. She assigned them this project and they sat down and they worked out every, what everybody was going to do. And then they got up and left and, and, and Jessica said to them something or other. So, uh, you, you know, are you all done? And they said, yeah, yeah, we're done. Yeah, we've done. We've figured it out. How is it like a, a, you're going to have to take over here and <laughs> tell a bit, a few more details to this project. But Jessica said, well, unless you have a team coming in to do the work that you've organized, who is doing all of this work? Oh, yeah. There, there, there is a landscape maintenance course. In, uh, that's one of the courses, landscape maintenance. I think landscape maintenance and turf management. And that was when I first started a lecture-based course, um, which if you think about that, that sounds a little odd that you could lecture quite a bit about landscape maintenance. And, um, but, you know, I, there's, I guess, lots of things you could lecture about. But when working with the enhancement group, I thought, well, actually a lot of landscape companies start out doing maintenance. So, and they will do maintenance contracts where they'll, come up maybe for a strata or, 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 or for somebody's home and they need to come up with letting somebody know what it is they're going to do and for how much and how long it's going to take them, how often they're going to come. Um, so, um, and there's a, there is a standard they can refer to. So we work to develop a project where they would create a maintenance plan that uh, the instructor for the course would be the client. They would present their maintenance plan to the client and then they would do the work and they could actually track their time and then reflect back and see if it, it went as they had estimated or anticipated or imagined. Um, yeah. And when we first had done that, especially because that was that start of the switch from, from being passive and listening in the classroom um, to actually that they were going to, uh, to lead what they wanted to learn about. And part of it was then they could pursue what some of their interests were. Um, that were first one team. We, we, it was a little worrisome at first now that you're with perspective standing back, it's kind of funny, but the first team did go, okay, yeah, we're, we're gonna, we've got a, we've got a plan now we've come up, we've brainstormed a plan over the, you know, they took about 40 minutes and they had the whole day. And, uh, and part of it was even to come up with what tools they would need. So, you know, imagine you've got this business, what tools are you going to need? What supplies you're going to need? And then uh, you're going to work with the instructor to acquire the supplies and order their supplies, estimate the supplies, all of it, like a, a small mini uh, maintenance company. And yeah, um, it was meant to run through the whole semester and they finished in the four, first 40 minutes and went home. And so they they did go home. And, and I remember uh, talking with the other instructor and we went, well, what just happened there? They, just happened they're they're finished they think they're finished um so it was good that actually they walked away because then i think it really did sink in oh we've actually got to do this now we're not just going to talk about it we're going to do it and then there and then those kinds of projects i think create a little bit of social pressure in the class because the other group seemed like they were just ahead somehow because they had gone ahead and done so they you know they they wanted to pull up their boots then and yeah but that was uh yeah when you make do something different and you haven't uh, tested it out before you're not really sure how it's going to happen yeah great example of a prototype and also yeah. that captures that unnerving moment when you do actually you know switch your pedagogical approaches around in the classroom and, and you know what, you, you know, you have the plan and yet your students, like you say, they went from being passive in the classroom to actually it was, uh, you know, it was them. They were, it was about their learning. So it's almost like there was that delay before they realized, oh, 
oh, this is their role now. And it is, yeah, unsettling as an instructor. Yeah. And what had what I had observed before is that the instructor was telling them each step to do. So today you're gonna go and you're gonna you're gonna prune or you're gonna edge, you're gonna and and it um, there was not a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, it was just like became chores. It was like uh, telling children to do chores. And it, <laughs> and none of us have that experience at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turned into, well, it's, it's your, you're imagining now you're running your own business. And uh, what kind of a business do you want to have? And, and how do you want to represent yourself? And how do you want to conduct yourself with your client? How do you want to manage your time? Um, and all those things. And there was a lot of pride. People were, students were, were coming early and staying late to work. Uh, when it, when I observed before that, you know, there was a lot of watching their watches and saying what, you know, pulling out their phone, what time is it? <laughs> Can we go now? <laughs> is it time to go now? Um, to, you know, them really putting in so much extra time and, and so much pride. They, you know, they, gave us tours afterwards, all the instructors, we had a grand tour of their, each, each team had their own area and I have never seen the place looking so good. Oh, that's so cool. Jessica, we're coming to the end and uh, we just may have to call you back because this is cool. I got, I got like 16 questions here that we didn't get to, but um, I got five kind of short rapid fire questions for you that uh, I call them my fab five helps us get to know you a little bit better, helps uh, listeners get to know you a little bit better. So that when you come back, we can just pick up where we left off. <laughs> You're coming back. You're coming we may back. be near the end, but it right. feels like we've just begun. That's right. See that that's that little nudge that mm -hmm. you were talking about earlier. Yes. Right? That's that little, little nudge. Little nudge. nudge. Little nudging. Anyway, are you ready, Jessica? Five little quick questions. Yes. Okay. Ready? Uh, what's your favorite food? Peaches. Peaches. Mm -hmm. Nice. What do you like to do with peaches? Do you like to make them into a cobbler? Uh, I like just eating peaches. If I could eat peaches every day, I would be eating peaches every day. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? My favorite movie is Moonstruck. Oh, look at you. Yeah, it's old. It's an old movie, but yeah. I, I could watch it over and over. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what do you listen to? Favorite band, favorite genre of music? I listen to a lot of reggae. You do? Yes, I do. That's kind of cool. Who's who's your favorite reggae? Um, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of Bob Marley. And so it sort of feels it's the kind of music that makes me feel like, you know, it's kind of like home, you know, yeah. it was playing in the house when I was growing up. That's cool. That's very cool. Uh, what's your favorite go-to tech, tech right now? Piece of tech or app or what are you using? Oh, I, um, I, after the new year, I installed an app called Passable. It's not free. I paid for it, but it stores all my passwords. And yeah, and I, um, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of anxiety about trying to remember all the passwords for everything. So I'm really enjoying it just, you know, because now it just has facial recognition. I don't have to remember anything. I can just put everything into that app. Very cool. What's the name of that app again? Passable? Passable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And last one, who, who's been the most influential person in your life? Oh, that's really hard to say oh um i've had a lot of great teachers and uh, my parents i would say are really influential my mom is uh super organized um very straightforward uh no nonsense um and she's also has has a very uh artistic eye she i think if she'd grown up in a different time she probably would have been a designer um and my dad loves horticulture. My dad always had a huge vegetable garden. My dad's from Greece and he grew up um, on an island that uh, everyone produces and they still do. They all grow their own food and have their own goats. And so, uh, and my dad always instilled that, uh, one of the great things about my dad is that he always instilled that uh, I could do anything. Like if I'm ever worried about 
thinking that I couldn't do something, I could just call my dad and my dad's like, oh, of course you could do that. Like my dad really does think I'm uh, invincible. Uh, and that's nice to have that person in your life that just goes, of course you can do that. <laughs> Why would you even question that? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Come on over here. I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And actually he's 80 and uh, uh, he went from having a place with a big garden. He doesn't miss his home, like the house he had. Mm -hmm. He just misses his garden. Oh. And, and so now, um, and, and some other family members would be thinking this is a bad thing, but I think it's awesome. He had took all the clothes out of his closets in his very small apartment and he's put grow lights in there and he's propagating hibiscus. Really? In his closets. <laughs> I said, what did you do with your clothes? And he said, oh, I don't really care. I just put them in a basket. I don't care about my clothes. Um, and he's, he's basically created his own grow tent in his closet. So um, yeah, that's, that's my dad. He's always cooking and, um, he was so proud this summer. He was uh, in, he lives in Hamilton and he was in the Hamilton Spectator newspaper for, cause he has these big pots of tomatoes all, he doesn't have a yard. So he's got them all lined up in front of the building yeah. and uh, somebody from the newspaper passed by and his tomatoes look fabulous. And I guess he <laughs> talked his ear off about his tomatoes. And uh, so, yeah, my parents have been, have been, uh, I would say they're unconventional parents, but they, they, they gave me a lot of good things. That is very cool. That is very cool. Well, Jessica, thanks again so much for being a part of the show today. Uh, it's been an honor to have you here. Um, we've laughed a lot. We've talked. To, I've learned so much about your trade and um, it's very cool. We'll have to have you back for sure. Thanks, Tim. Yeah.